1: Welcome to Dave DeWitt's Chili Podcast, brought to you by Burn Digital Magazine, for lovers of peppers, smoke, and sauce. And now, from the spicy heart of the American Southwest, Albuquerque, New Mexico, here's the Pope of Peppers, Dave DeWitt.
2: Hey there, chili heads and barbecue freaks. This is the inaugural show of Dave DeWitt's Chili Podcast, and we're going to begin by talking about super hot chilies. And there seems to be a new record holder every month. With me is James Beck of eatmoreheat.com, who has the uncanny ability to eat super hot foods that I wouldn't even touch. Morning, James. Good morning, Dave, how's it going? Everything's going great. So why don't you explain to the listeners about Eat More Heat and your live webcast?
3: Absolutely. Well, a couple of years ago, I started the website eatmoreheat.com with the initial intent of offering spicy product reviews to the masses. And over the past 18 months, I guess, it has really started to evolve into something much more uh, with the beginning back in November of our live webcast. And we, every Tuesday, Starting at 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific, we actually have a live broadcast where we talk about all the goings-on in the fiery foods industry, and we review a product, whether it be pot sauce, barbecue, whatever, Mm -hmm. live on the air. Uh, And recently, we actually had the opportunity to eat... Uh, some fresh Trinidad scorpions on the air and oh really God. torture ourselves.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, but uh, you know you have a sort of an incredible ability to eat these super hot foods, and it makes me think that maybe you were born without any capsaicin receptors in your mouth and tongue.
3: Oh, I, I wish <laughs> that that were the case. Now, if if that were the case, then that would mean that I wouldn't really be experiencing much pain when we eat these ultra hots, and that is not even close. It okay.
2: Is, so, so, it's what is intriguing. this? Uh, is this something like the uh, uh, the th- those food eaters who can just chop down a hundred, you know, uh, hot dogs or something like this? Is this just a, a mind control kind of thing?
3: Yeah, it really is. It's mind over matter. It's well, and it's also what we call embracing the rush. It's oh, putting ourselves in a position where we realize that when you eat this ultra hot stuff, because of the way that your body reacts to it, uh, essentially simulating being burned, that you go into a state of shock Uh from from this ultra-hot, and then unlike when you actually are burned, where you're obviously suffering for a very long time, when you're eating spicy food, you're only suffering for about 10 to 20 minutes, and then that shock actually stays around, the endorphins stay around, and you you actually get a really intense natural high.
2: Ah, And didn't you once eat an entire apocalypse burger?
3: Yeah, actually, I've done two different spicy burgers. I uh-huh. did the, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse uh-huh. burger, which is at uh, uh, Chunky's in San Antonio, and then I also did the El Diablo burger, which is at Rockwell Tavern here in Houston.
2: Oh, I see. So um, how many other people have been able to finish these burgers?
3: Uh, it depends on the location. Uh, I think the Chunky Burger, uh, you know, there's there's only a couple of hundred people that have done it. I think they said that, that the success rate is about 5%. They've had uh, in excess of 10,000 people attempt it, and only a few hundred have been successful.
2: Oh, my God. Was there some kind of award you get for eating these burgers? You get your picture on the wall. Oh, wow. It must be exciting to endure all that pain and get your picture on the wall. Of course, you can tell your grandchildren about it eventually, I'm sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, like I tell everybody, don't try it, don't do it. It's extremely painful, uh, but my picture is on the wall.
2: Okay, now, you have to tell me, what was the worst moment you've ever had eating this super hot stuff?
3: Oh, that, I, I would have to say that would be right after I did the El Diablo burger here in Houston. Mm-hmm. What they all seem to have in common when they do these super spicy eating challenges is they use chili pepper extract. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, as we know, is is essentially the same thing as a coffee extract or anything else. They use a solvent to uh, get all the capsaicin out of the chili peppers, right. and then they bottle it.
2: Right. And this, and, and this is usually about a million or two million Scoville heat units, and it's the same kind of stuff that's used in pepper spray for criminals and bears and all that kind of stuff.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's it's considered a food product, but I don't know how uh, legitimate that term is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the sauce that they used at the El Diablo burger here in Houston was uh, the, somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three million Scoville,
2: Good which grief. is
3: as hot as pepper spray. Right. And uh, finished the burger, and everything seemed to be going okay, and. When I got home, what, what happens when you eat large amounts of extract sauce is it causes rather intense intestinal cramping. Ooh. And That's I, not good. I relate that to, I, my, my analogy is it's kind of like giving birth to your intestines. Ooh. Uh, and after the Rockwell burger, I got home and, and it didn't seem to be hurting me too badly. Well, uh, as I got home, the intestinal cramping got really bad and one minute I know I'm doubled over in pain and the next minute I know I'm face down on the floor waking up from passing out. Oh
2: my God. This is sort of like a drug experience then, huh?
3: Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty bad, and and uh, I'd say it's gotten to the point now where, uh, as far as the extract challenges go, uh, I'm I'm not participating in them anymore. That was a uh, really scary experience that I don't wish to repeat.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't wouldn't want that either. But uh, we'll talk about super hot chilies in a minute. So I, I guess you can eat the super hot chilies more than, so than the extract, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. And that's the crazy part, is the extract just destroys me. But when it, if it's an all-natural burn, if it's just eating a, a really hot pod like a, like a Jalokia or a Trinidad Scorpion,
2: mm-hmm.
3: not a problem. I don't even get a stomach ache from it. But, man, those extracts, it's brutal.
2: Yeah. Well, maybe the manufacturers will stop making the extracts and just use the super hot chilies, hopefully. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're speaking with James Beck of Eat More Heat and Eat More Heat's live broadcast, and we're discussing super hot chilies. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back.
1: This episode of Dave DeWitt's Chili Podcast is sponsored by Burn Digital Magazine for lovers of peppers, smoke, and sauce. Are you a food adventurer? Are you crazy about growing and eating chili peppers? Do you love to fire up the grill, crack a cold one, and just enjoy life? If you answered yes, then Burn is the magazine for you. In every issue, we bring on the heat with dozens of fantastic recipes from around the world, tips on chili gardening and preservation, video cooking, how-tos, product reviews, and articles about everything from smoking pastrami to picking the best booze for your favorite fiery dish. Published by Dave DeWitt, the Pope of Peppers, Burn Magazine will entertain, inform, and maybe even shock you. It's your antidote to all those boring food porn magazines. We think you'll want to read Burn from cover to cover. See if we're right by downloading the first issue absolutely free. Just go to burn-magazine.com and let us light your fire.
2: Well, we're back on Dave DeWitt's Chili Podcast. We're talking to James Beck of Eat More Heat. And James has this uh, amazing ability to focus his mind uh, on eating super hots, not so much the extracts, which kill him, but, you know, the, the super hot chilies. And that brings up a question. What do you think about all these revolving claims for the world's hottest pepper?
3: Well, it, it's understandable, but it's still rather shocking. Yeah. Over the course, uh, since February, uh, we've had the world record broken twice, and we have a third candidate that, uh, as I understand it, is trying to secure the new world record, which if it happens, will mean that we've essentially broken the world record for the hottest chili three times over a course of four months.
2: Yeah, this this is the Butch T. Scorpion out of Australia, I think?
3: Right, yeah. It's. It's kind of an interesting story, but yeah, it's it's the Trinidad Scorpion, and the variety is called the Butch Tea, which was named for Butch Taylor, who actually was the uh, man who was able to secure the seeds and then give them to Neil Smith down in Australia to grow.
2: Oh, I see. So they originally came from Trinidad, though, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's where Butch had secured them originally, and uh, Neil Smith's was the man who is trying to get the world record now for the Trinidad Scorpion has spent, I guess the last three years, uh, purifying the breed and, and, uh, coming out with this, this variety of chili that looks like it, it may be the new world record holder.
2: Yeah. Well, I wonder if he's had more than one test on that particular chili. The thing that gets me is that these people make these claims, and it's not scientific because you have to have a a replication of a claim like that. It can't just be a single test because it's much more complicated than anybody thinks. I mean, this is just not a simple test. Um, There are standards as described by the American Spice Trade Association, and some labs use them and some labs don't, especially the labs out of this country might not be using those same standards. And we're going to talk to Marlon Bensinger on another program coming up soon. And he's the, you know, the chemical engineer who does all our testing here. And he says it's got to be two labs. You know, uh, this is scientific. It's not just measuring with a tape measure. Do you agree?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're dealing with with a a very specific science here. And although Guinness uh, is obviously the foremost authority when it comes to world records that are easily quantifiable, when you're getting into high performance liquid chromatography testing, it requires a lot more understanding. and. I don't even think if you, if you went to a Guinness official and asked them regarding, you know, how these tests are performed or what parts of the chilies are performed on or anything else, they would probably even be able to, to give you any type of real answer. Uh, you know, if you look at, for instance, the, how they measure the world's shortest man, you know, they, they take a, a measurement of over a, a two-day period three times a day, and then they take the average of that number, to determine what the height is of the individual
2: does that mean he's shrinking and then growing
3: yeah as i understand it that everybody will shrink and grow over the course of a day up to a half an inch
2: well i know that happens with other parts of the anatomy but uh, i didn't know it happened with height <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah it does with height too and that was one of the things that i think that guinness if they really want to get into the business of certifying the, the highest scoville rating for naturally grown chilies is it needs to be done with an average of not only not just the highest rating of the chili which is obviously found in in the the pith or the placenta right. the the white portion where the seeds are connected right. uh, but taking the chili as a whole and taking multiple chilies and then deriving an average to where you're dealing with a realistic number as to how hot these chilies really are, not just one section of one pepper on one test.
2: Yeah, you're describing uh, the way Paul Bosland, of course, who's a Ph.D., uh, did it when he got the record for the Bucciolokia. That's exactly what he did. He went down the entire row, picked pods at random, and mixed them all together and, and and got an average that was just over a million. Of course, that has been eclipsed now, which brings up my question. Does winning a record like the Guinness record that lasts for just a month, does that mean anything?
3: I think it means something initially. For instance, if you try to go and buy Trinidad scorpion seeds right now, you're going to have a pretty difficult time finding any. And the individuals who are involved with these world records prepare for this, and they obviously make sure they have plenty of plants, plenty of seeds, and and, uh, lots of supplies available to get these out to market when the information hits the news wires. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, once... That happens, then it 's almost like okay, well, now the you know the manufacturers want to get their hands on the on the uh pods so that they can come up with a new sauce based on that, uh, and you know you 'll find certain manufacturers getting into the extremes with doing a puree or something along those lines, but then after that it it kind of fades and loses its luster, which is I think the reason that this has kind of started to happen so consistently here recently is, you know, the, the boot had the world record for four years before it was broken. Right, right. And the, it went from complete obscurity in 07 when the world record was secured to almost cult-like status uh, over the course of the last year or two.
2: Right, right, right. Now maybe the Scorpion will do the same thing. We'll just have to see. Scorpion is a better name than, than boot I think, but, um, you know, sometimes, uh, these fads transcend the the name of the thing we've seen that with rock groups and everything else so it's interesting about this whole thing what do you think will be the role of super hot chilies in the fiery foods industry
3: well i think it will continue to be a, a kind of a, a cottage thing you're going to find this is, is going to be more popular with the true chili heads the people who are are kind of in my position where they're willing to try just about anything uh, one of the things that I've noticed since I've been in the fiery foods industry is is you really have two groups of people when it comes to these ultra-hots. You've got spectators and you've got participants. Right. right. And if, if you don't want to try it yourself, you're definitely curious to watch other people try it, see their reaction, watch them suffer, laugh at them because they're voluntarily putting themselves through this. And it, it should continue along those lines. One of the great things about most of these chilies is they really all have an excellent flavor.
2: Yes, they have the, they're have they part of the Chinense family, and they have that fruity overtone just like the habanero, except they're much hotter.
3: Right, and what that allows you to do is it allows you to get extremely creative with a variety of products because you can bring in just subtle hints of that flavor because you're you're having to use so little of it if you know if you use a lot you're going to make it too hot for for most people and by just adding a bit you can create these subtle hints create a really nice heat and have sauces that you can you know involve fruits you can involve less spicy chilies you can involve all these different factors so i think it really is going to benefit the industry overall
2: yeah, and of course, as far as you know, doing mash or anything like that, the superhots can be used to adjust the heat level of of mild products and make them not super hot, but just hot, just depending on the amount that they're mixed with it. So, what are scorpion seeds going for these days?
3: Oh wow, <laughs> it, d- it depends on what country you buy them from uh th- that's one of the big problems that I think we're going to see going forward as well is there because these are all the Chenenzi family i think you're going to run into a lot of problems where you're going to have people trying to pass off seeds as scorpion seeds when they're actually habaneros or scotch bonnet it's already
2: or, happened it's
3: already happened yeah and and not only that but then you have to deal with the multiple varieties of scorpion available where you've got the the maruga uh, and the butch tea and the the jonah and the seven pot and and it, you know it's 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 hard to even say if you're going to get legitimate seeds, but I've seen them going uh, from anywhere from about $10 for like a 10-pack of seeds up to about $25.
2: Yeah, that's getting within the range of marijuana seeds these days. And uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, There's a whole industry based on marijuana seeds, and maybe we'll see one for the the super hot seeds you never, never know. We're talking to James Beck of Eat More Heat. And, James, uh, one final question for you. What's in the future for Eat More Heat?
3: got a lot of stuff going on, and it's, uh, we're going to continue the live webcast. Uh-huh. It's been a huge success for us, and we're going to look to expand it. It's, we've started visiting live events, as, as you've seen when we did the Fiery food show, right, for right. the second time this year, and it went very, very well. So we're hoping to bring more attention to the Fiery Foods events. And ultimately, what we're shooting for is to actually take this concept to television.
2: Wow. I wish you all the luck in the world. And one final observation from me, you seem to have a lot more positive attitude than some of these other people, like the bloggers, for example, in the, in the industry. Uh, do you agree with that?
3: I think that you run into, in, in virtually every industry, you're going to have individuals who are the optimists and the pessimists. Yep. Exactly. Unfortunately, what, what tends to happen, at least in the fiery foods industry, is you find that the optimists tend to just continue to do what they do, and the pessimists tend to be more vocal. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of unfortunate because for someone who's just being introduced to the industry, uh, if they go and do a lot of looking around, they're going to see a lot of the complaining and, and the potential or perceived uh, issues that are going on within the industry. You know, The way I see it is this is a, this is a, a very small industry with a lot of independent small businesses. Right who are all competing with the food giants of the world like Kraft and Tabasco and Haiphong and, and, you know, companies that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. Right. And the bottom line is we need to not even worry about the negativity, and it needs to be focused on bringing these amazing products – to the average consumer who doesn't get to go to the hot sauce shows and who doesn't visit the farmer's markets and and just goes to the grocery stores and doesn't even understand what variety there is of the marketplace and stop being petty and and the infighting and all the other garbage that goes on behind the scenes.
2: Uh, Yeah, well, what I always say is, even though I'm an old man now, um, I'll be around while they're gone, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Okay, well, thanks, James. And uh, we've been talking to James Beck of Eat More Heat on the first broadcast of the Dave DeWitt Chili Podcast. So stay tuned for more.
1: You've been listening to Dave DeWitt's Chili Podcast, brought to you by Burn Digital Magazine for lovers of peppers, smoke, and sauce at burn magazine.com. And be sure to read Dave's blog on the Fiery Foods and Barbecue Super Site at Fiery-Foods.com.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit C-SuiteRadio.com.